So my job today is to very briefly, you all know how I feel about bios, that you know everybody learned to read and can go and look at bios, so I'm not going to do a lot of reading of them today. But I am going to say that Andrea is the president and CEO of the Chicago Community Trust. Doesn't that sound good? One of the nation's largest and oldest community foundations is committed to a vision of equity, opportunity, and prosperity for the, for the entire Chicago region. And yes, I did shamefully track her down somewhere. I don't remember which dinner it was. And I was like, you're coming to the to Chicago City Club, right? <laughs> so thank you, Andrea, for obliging me and being here. Sylvia Perez is the morning and midday anchor for Fox News 32. Um, Perez has been a longtime anchor and medical reporter um, at WLS ABC7 before joining Fox in 2016. We are so looking forward to this conversation. They've got plenty of time. Dan asked if you all could bring questions up here. I don't know why he said that, because there's a ton of questions. So good luck. I hope you're able to get them up here if you can. Um, Sylvia has said she will try to leave time for questions um, from the audience if you if you wanted to. I almost said congregation. Pastor Hatch, you know I can't help it. I, I, I get confused. Um, so if there are questions, do try to get them up. Um, if Dan or me or Amanda or someone sees you. Um, again, I want to step down so that they can get up here and get everything started. Thank you all so much for being here. We appreciate you. Come around there. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're so excited to be doing this. Um, Andrea, you are loved. All the people that have been coming up to her, they're so excited to be a part of this, and I think it just shows how much you mean to them. So let's give her a big round Thank of applause you. for this, right? start off crying right now because I feel loved. I'm so grateful that you're all here and just I love seeing all the warm faces, some really dear old friends, former colleagues, current colleagues, mm -hmm. board members. It's just, it warms my heart. Thank you so much for being here. And mom. Mom and flew mom. in. Can I say hi? <laughs> hi, mama. <laughs> And mom is so adorable. So we were talking before we got started, and she's. I, I was about to, Tony. Don't get me in trouble. Oh, oh wait, where is he? My beautiful husband is over there. Hello. There you go. <laughs> I have to say, I was having a conversation with mom before, and she said to me, she's so proud of you, and she told me she always knew you were going to make it and that you were going to be something. How sweet is that? Proud mama, right? Sweet. Okay, but we don't want to embarrass you anymore, so let's get started, because I know we only have a certain amount of time here. Um, so you're president and CEO, wow, of this wonderful organization. Um, you're not new to the trust. So what's interesting, though, is, is now you are overseeing this great organization. Um, how do you want to describe the mission of the trust to people who aren't really familiar with it? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think most of you probably are pretty familiar with the trust, uh, or you wouldn't be here. But 
When I joined the trust, what I understood and what really spoke to me was that for more than 100 years, the trust purpose was to support the region, the Chicago region and its people, and to focus on the issues and the opportunities um, that would most benefit the region's people. So today, after really extensive research and thinking, you know, what we're focused on most of all is closing the wealth gap, the gap in wealth that exists in Chicago pretty much neatly across racial and ethnic lines. It is a legacy of many, many decades of exclusionary policies, and we are really focused on that because we understand that wealth inequity is the underpinning to so many of the other uh, inequitable outcomes that we see across our region, the health disparities that we see, the disparities in educational attainment, educational outcome, um, so many of the things that keep us up at night, mm -hmm. the crime rates. I mean, if you look at where most of the surge in violent crime has happened in the pandemic, right, which has happened across all U.S. cities, if you look at the patterns, that is concentrated in neighborhoods that have seen decades of disinvestment and whose citizens continue to live in economic disparity. And so all the things that keep us up at night, we think can be best addressed by focusing squarely and really intentionally on changing that trajectory of inequitable economic outcomes for families. I know you're probably going to say that um, maybe, you know, this isn't as significant to you as it is to me and some of the other people, but you are the first Latina to run this organization. <laughs> And that's really important to a lot of communities because a lot of the communities you help are minority communities. Does this give you a different perspective on how you approach this? I would answer that in a couple of different ways. First, um, I feel a great honor and sense of responsibility. Um, when I meet, since, since I've been named presidency of the trust, um, I've talked to dozens, if not 100 or more young people of color, mostly Latinas, African-American women, mostly women, men who just say that it means a lot to them to have someone like me in this role because they feel seen and, and, and they, feel, they feel that they can be seen as leaders in the work that they're doing. And that I carry as like a huge honor and responsibility. In addition to that, I know that some of the reasons, my diagnosis of why we are where we are in Chicago today with these huge disparities, is that many of the big decisions that we as a city and a civic community and have made over the years have excluded people whose perspectives are like mine and like my African-American friends and neighbors and all the folks that have not been at the table. So I also believe that my experiences as an immigrant that my experiences as a Latina, as a woman of color, all the things that I've seen, the lens through which I see the world, that perspective has often not been represented when big decisions are made. And we can see the consequences of that, right? We now buy that diversity matters in terms of business outcomes. We've seen study after study now. Nobody disputes that. Well, that same diversity of perspective matters when we talk about policy outcomes and when we talk about all the other things that we, you know, most of us in this room now are able to be at the table to make those decisions, but too many of our Chicago neighbors of color are still excluded. And I feel like we need to fix that. And I, I, can, I can carry that message both credibly and, and, and strongly um, 
and I feel great privilege and, and responsibility in that as well. So let's dig into that a little deeper, because you mentioned earlier, in 2019, the trust announced the main focus was going to be on closing that racial disparity gap. Um, why is that important? Why is that so important? And why should all of us care? How does it affect us as individuals? So, you know, what we know is that there's a moral argument to be made for creating more, a more inclusive economy. Um, we as humans, you know, feel a responsibility to one another. But beyond that, it is in our self-interest, all of us, to make sure that our regional economy is one that's most in- more inclusive. We, you know, I mentioned all of the things that keep us up at night. Um, the higher incidence of crime. All of those things are correlated with this kind of huge economic disparity. And in Chicago, it is worse than it is in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And so what we know is that in Chicago, there have been very specific exclusionary policies made that have created disparities that are worse than they are nationally. Um, And if we don't address them head on, they will continue to get worse because we know that wealth compounds. (laughs) And so those that have wealth, will that wealth will likely continue to grow. And those that don't will continue to be further left behind. And that is a, a problem that affects all of us in the region. We know that the region as a whole loses economic opportunities because of these disparities, which affect us all. We lose a tax base, which affects us all. Um, And so other than the moral argument, there is this self-interest argument to be made for creating a more inclusive economy. And guess what? We can do it. There are people working on it every day, and the small gains that they've been able to make just in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. are a foundation upon which we can all build. There are small and large actions that each of us can take in our roles, no matter what they are, as employers, as people who buy goods and services, as people in public policy roles, that can start to change that trajectory for Chicago. If we're intentional about it, we don't have to be 80th out of the 100 uh, economies in the U.S. in terms of growth. We can be at the top because closing those disparities will make us more competitive. It'll mean that we're taking better advantage of all the brilliance and all the talent that's in our south and west side neighborhoods today that is not going to be engaged in making our region better unless we change the trajectory. And, you know, it's people like everybody sitting in this audience, too, that's involved with these nonprofits and these different organizations that are really making the difference. Because I think sometimes the problem can seem so overwhelming that you start to feel like, can we really make a difference? But we can. We can. Okay. I want. I always like to kind of dig a little bit deeper and get into a personal story. Um, I'm wondering if there's one particular, and I know there's many, but if there's one particular story that probably touches your heart more, that probably really brings home uh, the difference the trust and organizations that support you guys, what you do, has made in an individual's life. Mm. Ooh, that's tough. I can't, <laughs> I can't think of just one. I mean, I look around this room and I see so many people leading work in communities. And, and I guess I'll share a story that's you know, kind of more of the way I, I see the world. I, um, I believe that we together can create a new reality, right? One that is different from what is. And I see so many people in this room who've done that. And I'm going to call out my friend Brenda because I'm looking right at her. Um, And she's a wonderful example. She leads the North Lawndale Employment Network. She has been leading that organization. (laughs) 
for a very long time since, according to her board chair, they were in a raggedy <laughs> little office. Um, and she's built up an institution that is making a real difference. <laughs> um, but, but what I really admire about Brenda and why this speaks to just the way that I approach this work and, and why I feel so grateful to so many people in this room is that she was dissatisfied with the way things are, right? She wasn't just going to, like, stay in her little, you know, <laughs> raggedy ass room. <laughs> she saw what could be in North Lawndale. Mm-hmm. And in partnership with, you know, the philanthropic community, with, with government leaders, with people in financial sector, with employers, um, with other social services organizations, she built something that is now beautiful, physically a beautiful building that houses businesses that are run by people who have formerly been incarcerated and are getting paid and are getting job skills. Um, There's a bank housed inside that building. So it's this acknowledgement that we all deserve access to financial services um, that are not predatory and that are going to help us, you know, with our own financial futures. Um, And it took a long time to get there. And she did not give up, right? And it probably took longer than it should have. Because if folks like Brenda and many others in this room had access to the kinds of opportunities that other more well-positioned people have, she would have been able to get there in, in a much shorter time frame. She wouldn't be having gray hairs as a result of all the stress. They're hiding nicely, Brenda. <laughs> um, but just, just this idea that, you know, there are so many talented people in neighborhoods on the south and west side of the city that have been really ignored and overlooked by folks who want to invest. Um, and we can, we can make sure that the city changes by just investing in those people mm-hmm. with the energy, with the ideas, with the connections, with the discipline, with the drive, with the creativity that we all know is really necessary and important. And, and there's so many examples. I'm looking at my friend Carlos Nelson here, too. Call Auburn Gresham. Yep. <laughs> Auburn Gresham community, the, the first um, winner of the Chicago Prize, who has been able to... But again, it wasn't easy, right? It took a long time, a lot of work, a lot of creatively like stitching together resources from the public sector, from the private sector. Um, and I just think th- there are so many examples of that. Um, and, and what I see and what gives me hope is that we are starting to recognize those leaders for their brilliance. We are starting to understand that what they need isn't charity, it's partnership and investment. Mm -hmm. And I see it over and over again. Um, And I think the more we can accelerate that approach to being all in as a city, um, we're not going to be 80th for much longer, right, in terms of growth. Okay, I want to talk about this financial help pulse report you guys did, 2022 report. It looked at the racial and ethnic disparities in our area. Give us, uh, what's the most important information you learned from that? Was there anything that came out of that that you went, wow, we didn't expect this? Unfortunately, it wasn't surprising. (laughs) Um, It confirmed, I think, what we've experienced and lived, those of us who have worked in the social sector in, in Chicago for a number of years. But it did confirm that Chicago really is an outlier um, among other cities. We uh, are doing worse 
our black and Latino residents are doing worse financially than they are nationally. Um, and our white residents are doing better locally than they are nationally. And that disparity is larger here. Um, again, it gives us clues about actions we might be able to take together. Policy actions, investment actions, different things that we can do. One of the things that really jumped out at me in the report that actually, it didn't come from the research itself. It was a, a contextual reference in the report to an Urban Institute study from last year um, about the wealth disparities in our region. And, and it was a, a, a bit of data that said um, in some of our Southside communities, a typical household's wealth um, is not 1% of that of some of our more affluent north side communities it's 0.5%. So our most affluent north side Cook County communities um, are two, have 200% 200 times the wealth as one uh, as as a typical household in some of our south side communities. That disparity is is outrageous. Yeah. Um, so not a surprise, but I think a call to action. Um, that we need to just make different policy decisions here and we need to think differently about how to solve these issues. And again, I go back to one of the things that gives me hope is that we've been trying to solve these issues in a little bit of a top-down way for a long time. And I'm seeing so much more true partnership and engagement and respect for the ideas that people in those neighborhoods that might hold you know, 0.5% of the wealth have for how to address those issues. And I think therein lie a lot of opportunities to think differently, to make better decisions about how we, how we do this work together. Well, you just brought up two great examples of people who are making a difference in the communities. But I'm wondering, once that report came out, was there a particular focus that you thought, okay, I can see that this is a problem. We can see that this is a problem. Here's how we need to approach it. And what did you yeah. do with that? I wish I could say there was one approach. Um, there are so many people who really feel strongly that they have the one answer. And I think what we know is that it's a complex set of issues and there are different layers of activities. But, but interconnected and more coordinated, I think, will get us to better outcomes. So one, you know, there's the policy lever. We have a, a, a lever for policy and there are many ways that we can think differently about how to grow income, reduce debt, and get people on a path to having household assets and building wealth in communities that haven't had access. So, you know, there are a couple really interesting pilots that the trust has been happy to support in some way. The Cook County um, Guaranteed Income Pilot, the Chicago uh, Pilot, that's really testing this notion of, of giving cash to people so that they have a basic income that allows them to take care of emergencies and not be living in crisis. I think that's a really promising approach, and we are studying it, and we want to try to understand if there's something that we can learn from that that allows us to change the way we think about public policy related to, to supporting low-income families. Um, there are other things around predatory lending, so debt, um, you know, black and Latino families are carrying debt burdens much high, at much higher rates in Cook County than their white counterparts. A lot of that is uh, education debt. Um, so what we saw, and one of the surprising things is a report said that the financial health did not increase um, at higher income earnings for black and Latino residents at the rate that it does for white residents. And what we know is even at $100,000 or more, um, those earners are carrying 
higher um, education debt. Um, it's a huge burden, and I, you know, I've seen many interesting ways to address this uh, throughout the city. I see a friend from Hope Chicago who's looking at ways to raise money to just make college free um, for so many of our families. And so the idea of people being able to graduate with a four-year degree without debt, um, I think, is a game changer. Are there public policy levers we can pull that allow that to be available to more and more people so that even when they're earning, they're not burdened by that debt? Medical debt is another issue um, that is disproportionately impacting people. Can we make better health benefits more universally available? We've seen attempts at that, and we've made improvements. What's the next set of improvements that we make? So there are lots of ways that we can address this at the systemic level. Um, and then I think just community by community, really thinking about what ways can we bring um, income-generating opportunities into neighborhoods that haven't seen them. Um, whether it's large businesses locating there. We've all heard about the Discover call center. If you haven't, Discover decided to place a call center in Chatham. They're on track to hire 1,000 people who live within a five-mile radiance of that call center at an average um, $22 an hour starting wage, right, with benefits and all kinds of other things. Can we, can we do more of that kind of activity? Can we encourage other employers to do that that can also be game changers, right? It's, by the way, the call center that's performing highest out of all of their U.S. call centers. Um, so there's a great business case that they're now able to make as a result of that investment and those outcomes. Um, other, other things, you know, small businesses. Like, how do we make it easier for small businesses that are grown in those communities and in those neighborhoods to have access to capital, to have access to high-quality um, technical assistance? Um, we are part of a collaborative that's the um, Fund for Equitable Business Growth at the Trust with so, uh, several other um, uh, funders. And one of the things that they found is, you know, they've been trying to figure out how to get the large business services organizations that provide uh, technical assistance and support to small businesses to connect with some of the smaller organizations that maybe have more cultural competency to better understand and work with business leaders of color and com combine their forces so that everybody has access to that high-quality technical assistance that might help them with their business planning, grow their business, commercialize their products, and have access to capital. Okay, I have two questions for you. Um, what would you say, you know, with everything that's gone on with the pandemic, everybody talks about it's, you know, two steps forward, three steps back. It's been overwhelming for all, I'm sure, a lot of you in many different ways, not only, you know, business-wise, but personally. So what has been the biggest challenge for the trust since you've uh, been doing what you've been doing? But I also want to ask you, what has been your proudest moment? Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the pandemic created a challenge for families that didn't have emergency reserve assets and had to kind of get up and out of their house to be able to go to work. And so what we saw during the pandemic was in the same communities um, where we've uh, observed, you know, uh, health disparities, all these things, they just, it, it, it exacerbated those issues. Um, during the pandemic, though, there, there was something positive that happened, which is the philanthropic community, the business community really came together quickly 
and with a great amount of trust, trust for one another and trust from the, from the organizations that were in those communities feeding people, you know, um, giving people emergency diapers and baby formula and all that stuff. Some of you are here in the room who did that, who really stepped up. I want to acknowledge uh, Karina Ayala Bermejo from Instituto del Progreso Latino, who just moved mountains to feed thousands and thousands of families during the pandemic. And what we learned, what I learned is, you know, when, when it really becomes clear that there's a solution to a problem, people rally. People in Chicago really, really rally. And um, so that leads to, you know, I would say a proud moment. So <laughs> a proud moment was during the pandemic, we partnered with, with the United Way um, and we helped mobilize a relief fund for um, Chicago organizations that were doing this kind of this kind of emergency work, and realized, and really my predecessor Helene Gale, whose um, inauguration is 11th president of Spelman College, I just attended a couple days ago in Atlanta, uh, um, brought together a group of. Um, other funders and said, you know, we know that this crisis, this moment of crisis is important and we need to come together. But what will be left after this crisis is more need in those same neighborhoods that have experienced the COVID pandemic um, in its worst way. And so we pulled together with some funders and we created We Rise Together, um, which is a fund and a set of activities that have shown a spotlight and brought quick pretty flexible resources to many of the development, physical location development projects in those neighborhoods hardest hit by the pandemic that unlocked these buildings to be built that provide services, that provide jobs, and started to work with the community organizations in those buildings. And I just want to you know, emphasize all of the projects that have been supported by Rewrites Together, and have been about 30 projects so far that have gotten some support Eight have opened their doors. They've all been part of a community plan. So really led by community leaders, community voices that said, we want this health center, et cetera, in our, in our location. We want this youth organization. And we have ideas about how it can change the tra trajectory of our neighborhood. And a proud moment for B has been seeing those come to fruition. Really seeing people come together and um, create these incredible physical assets in neighborhoods that in some cases hadn't seen investment really for decades at that scale. And then work with the small businesses surrounding those areas, have our folks say, you know, what do you need to be able to increase your revenue as a result of this new health center that will now have X number of workers here who will need to eat every day? You know, that kind of collaboration and that business leaders who were part of that table were rolling up their sleeves, helping people through financing and zoning processes. So my proudest moment is when we come together and figure out, you know, what can I bring to this? How do I contribute? And how do I um, create collaboration, true collaboration with others? Everybody sitting at the table is equals. Yeah, collaboration is what makes a difference. Um, you brought up Karina, so maybe we can talk a little bit about what's going on because it's you know it's it's the new in the news right now. More migrants coming uh, from Texas and, and other states, and this is a problem. The mayor has written a letter, uh, and it seems to be that we are being inundated, and we've got to hurry up and figure out how we're going to do this. How is the trust playing a role in this? 
Um, one of the roles that we play, I think, very proudly, and, and we've always been happy to do it, is as a convener. So often, you know, we will get a call, somebody on our team will get a call from somebody in government that says, we need to find a philanthropic partnership that allows us to mobilize around these issues. Can you help bring together other leaders in philanthropy? We will brief them. We will, you know, and, and, and that's a partnership that we're always really proud to be able to support. So we've played that role with the state, and, and I want to acknowledge Deputy Governor Sol Flores is here um, around, around their efforts. And, and, and I have to say, I have been blown away with the state's ability to mobilize around this issue, to just quickly deploy services for these families in a way that brings in all of the different services that they have access to. And so our, our role really has been to say, what, do, what can private dollars help supplement? Um, what can private dollars do that maybe public dollars can't do? Often the role is to find resources that can move quickly um, because the public resources you know, need kind of a multi-step process before they're unlocked. Sometimes it's, um, are there supplemental things that we can bring to the table um, that public dollars aren't able to do. But, you know, it really is, it's a public sector effort, and we see ourselves as partners in both communicating what's going on to others who can help and then figuring out how private dollars can help enable some of the things that the public sector dollars can't do. So if you could directly speak to each one of us here today, um, you know, some people you know, some people you don't, some are involved with the nonprofits, others are not. Um, what one thing would you want us to know that we could do as an individual citizen to give back and make a difference? Whew. Um I would say it really... Easy question. Yeah, easy question. <laughs> I mean, it really depends on where you sit, right? Um, but one of the things that I think matters most is collaboration, sort of getting back to this idea that we are talking about big issues. They're complex. They've taken a long time to become the way they are. Um, it is important that we are all open to setting aside our assumptions about what the solutions to those issues are. Um, and that we are open to talking with others who care about the topics who may have very different perspectives about how to solve them and find common ground. And that is something that um, is hard. <laughs> and it does take discipline and it takes all of us being willing to, to be vulnerable and, and, and say we don't know things that you know, maybe we feel like we should know. But that, I think, is an important step. Um, also, you know, more specifically, if you're an employer, think about who you're hiring and think about how inclusive that process is. Um, if you are uh, an organization or a company that spends money on goods and services, think about who's getting those contracts and think about how inclusive that process is. And if those dollars could go to um, a company that's in one of the neighborhoods that's really been economically vulnerable in Chicago for too long. Um, those are some relatively low lift. They're complicated as well. <laughs> Things that we can all do. Um, and then get involved philanthropically. You know, the Chicago Community Trust is the region's community foundation, which means we can enable philanthropy, philanthropic activity for everyone. And you don't have to be super wealthy and you don't have to, but you can, you know, get engaged and contribute in, through many of our different collaborative funds. I'll, I'll give one small plug for affinity funds. About 20-ish years ago, the Chicago Community Trust, some of you were there, 
um, created these funds, the African American Legacy Fund, Nuestro Futuro, the LGBTQ Fund, the Fund for Persons with Disabilities, Young Leaders Fund, and Asian Giving Circle. Each of these are meant to enable philanthropy from just everyday folks who want to get engaged in supporting organizations led by folks from those communities and, and, and focused on those issues. That's a really easy entry point. Um, but you know, think about how you use your philanthropic dollars, even if they're not huge, um, to, to help make a difference in Chicago. But you know, do it also in the spirit of collaboration and partnership, because we can get so much more done when we're sharing not just our dollars, but our knowledge, our networks with one another. OK. Um, so I know we want to get everybody out of here. Do we have time for a question or two? Should I read from my list, or are we going to have to wrap this up? Does anybody have a question that they want to ask? If not, I do have some. Are we good? Oh, there's one back there. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. I do have another question. Uh, I think it's uh, Marta. Okay, yes. Um, if you want to, Marta, you can stand up and ask the question. Wow, Martha. Thanks for that softball final question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, will, I will be vulnerable, and I will admit that capital campaigns are not an area of expertise for me. I know that there's a lot that goes into figuring out, A, if that's something that, that a philanthropic institution wants to support generally, and B, you know, considering what role to play in, in terms of visibility. What I've seen, and this isn't an answer to your question, but what I have seen is that often who is in the campaign really does influence very much who will consider contributing at the end. So you're, I think you're raising a really important issue. Um, it's one that I wish I had a solution for, uh, but, but I don't. I think it's a really important question. And I, and, and I think it speaks to this idea that... Um, there are organizations who are led by folks who have lots of experience in this work and can quickly mobilize big dollars in support of a big vision. How do we make that knowledge and that ability to do that, to mobilize resources in support of a big vision, more kind of accessible to organizations um, across the city? Thank you, Martha, for raising that. 
Okay, I'm going to get one more in, and this is from Dave Cotugno. Um, it's, he's asking, what are some of the most exciting projects your team is working on, and how is the trust collaborating with community-based organizations to achieve those goals? Wow. Um, another big question. I, you know, the most exciting projects, I mentioned some of the public policy work we're doing. I do think that's important. And I think that the connection between the community leaders that we work with and support and that policy agenda is one that really excites me. Because, you know, we support lots of community-based organizations that work you know, every day in their neighborhood. They understand their community. They know what's going on. And they have a perspective that is often missing from a policy conversation. And so I I feel like what we do that really excites me today is provide both grant support to organizations that are doing this work and are still trying to figure it out, and I can't say we've landed the plane on this yet, but figuring out how to then... um, Use that wisdom from folks who are working in community to inform a policy agenda that we can then support, you know, with our own activities, again, with additional grant dollars. Um, Yeah, it's hard. I I, I would go on for probably three more hours if I had to name the things that I'm really excited about. And and we are getting the curtain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On that note... Um, Thank you so much, Sylvia. Of thank course. you, Andrea. That was inspiring. Thank you, Dan. Um, so many great things happening. I, I, I loved a few things that you said. When, you, when there's a solution that becomes clear, Chicago rallies. And it does, and it has. We are, you know, we're built on that uh, as, as a city. And, uh, and your focus on partnership and investment and collaboration just... All music to my ears, and I believe all of yours. Um, it's it's where Chicago came from, and where we're we're going. What sets us apart, and there's so many great examples of that. Brenda uh, from North Lawndale, we had we had a partnership uh, with the City Club, and she hosted a, a great event at at your at your great uh, institution recently. We've got a lot moving forward. I know Brian. Uh, Traubert and the Pritzker Traubert Foundation are here, and they've done the Chicago Prize. There's so many great examples, uh, and so many of the Chicago Trust uh, board members that are also here. So thank you uh, to all of you for this continued partnership with government. Sal uh, Flores, our deputy governor, and and President Preckwinkle, uh, philanthropy, business, uh, all coming together to to move the city forward. So we've got more to come, lots more to come, more partnerships to come. We're going to announce uh, later today. We're going to be partnering with Arnie Duncan and Cred um, in in a uh, another collaboration that's going to be uh, discussed. I believe Derek Douglas and uh, in the uh, the Civic Committee are all involved with that. So that's coming up on May eighth. So please come back. Mark your calendars now. Just over a week. Um, with Arnie Duncan, Jim Crown, and others. Um, May 8th, we have a number of legislators talking about the progress that they're making on the cannabis front. And um, uh, it would be a second panel, sort of a follow-up to uh, a previous partnership partnership we did uh, on equity um, in in cannabis. So, again, City Club... um, Helping let, you know, we want our platform to be used for all of these great, help elevate all these great conversations and all the great things that you're all doing. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We look forward to having you back here. In fact, I'm going to...
offer this to Andrea as a one-year membership. Oh, thank you. So you can come back anytime, <laughs> and we can hear those three more hours of all the great things you're doing. Thank you, Dan. Thank you all for being here. City Club is adjourned. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much.